nervous right now. I feel a little bit tired. I'm just going to be honest right out the get-go. I feel tired. I feel a little emotional, um, and I feel unprepared. So it's probably going to be a good morning. Um, and forgive me if you're new here. I uh, Part of my growing is learning how to contain my emotions because I get, I get overwhelmed pretty easy and um, try not to let that be a distraction. Uh, it's good emotions, but also... I know after after some point, it's kind of like, dude, come on, seriously. Um, be a man. Uh, so, Jesus wept. So, um, <laughs> like, not all the time, but. <laughs> so, I just kind of wanted to start off with a, I'm just going to say a prayer real quick, because I, I just want to get aligned with what God wants to do. Um, God, just help me so much today. Uh, just to paint a picture of these stories and just for us to be able to feel the reality of them and not just a, a story that we know, but to really feel like we're there and that we're there with you and that we were the ones that you touched and we were the ones that we that ran to you and uh, because that's who we are today and that's the way that we're supposed to be with you, like those people that got radically transformed because they humbled themselves. Uh, just allow us to be that way and myself today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right. Um, so I'm, I just want to tell a little bit, a little story real quick before I start the kind of, it's nothing crazy, um, but about two and a half months ago, Kami's nine and a half months pregnant and uh, got my new job going and I just am working like crazy and we have all this stuff, potential complications with the baby that could happen, and there's this long, drawn-out process, and she, has to, she had to get monitored with an ultrasound every week for, like, the last two months or something like that. And it was, like, with after insurance, it was, like, 450 bucks, and that was just before the baby even came. Um, and so just financial stuff. And then, uh, like I said, two and a half months ago, I started getting chest pain, and I didn't really... I kind of just would play it off, you know, every once in a while I'd breathe in and I'd feel a little tightness and then, like, ever had that happen, then you just kind of breathe again and it goes away. I just noticed it kind of lingering and it wouldn't go away and I thought it was something because I got sick and I had, like, bronchitis or something. And then uh, I started to worry about it. You know, that's the hard part is, like, you get the panic set in of, like, well, I don't want to just ignore this thing, and but I also don't want to be over overreacting. And then... Um, one night it got to the point to where like the whole day at work it was just like constant and I was just trying so hard to focus and I just was like man this is I can't I got in that that trap mentality where I just couldn't shake it and I was just and I was thinking all this crazy stuff about Dylan being born and me not being there and all this stuff and it's just like I just let the enemy just consume me with fear and it actually caused me to have a physical reaction usually like Stress to me is kind of some kind of like <clears throat> like reaction to a, a, a circumstance or something. I didn't I didn't really realize that stress was actually something that was unconscious and that was happening to you over and over. And if it wasn't dealt with, your body starts to say, "Hey, dude, something's going on. You need to you need to calm down. You need to figure." And I didn't realize that, you know. And uh, I thought I was just panicking, and I actually ended up just being a panic attack. But like it went to the point to where. My arm went numb, and then I got really tight in my chest, and then I felt really dizzy, and I couldn't breathe hardly. And then 
Kami's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm fine. And I was just, but this is what I'm feeling. And she's like, well, I don't care. We're, we're going to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. She's like, we're going. I'm like, uh, okay. And it was like, it was like 7.50 and we live in Battleground. And so the Vancouver uh, Clinic Battleground is right there. So we went there and I was like, oh, they're going to just be closing. We're going to be those people to come in right before. And we went there and, uh, like I said, they were just closing, so they weren't actually able to help us. They did like an EKG and they said it was abnormal, so they recommended that I go to the ER. I'm like, oh great, here we go. You know, I'm gonna have a big old gigantic emergency room bill. Ended up going, getting everything checked out. They did blood tests, they did a chest x-ray, they did an EKG, and I was fine. Said everything looked good. And I felt a great sense of relief just from knowing that. Um, and then what happened after the fact, you know, um, we get hit with the, you know, the bill later on. We paid like a $350 copay, which was fine. And then I'm thinking, oh, there's probably going to be some more fees. But we have insurance, so it should be fine. And after it was all said and done, it was like, I think it was another $1,800 just for my visit. And that's before the baby. So I'm thinking, but we're going to have the baby naturally. So we're gonna, it's going to be less expensive than a C-section. And uh, anyways, so everything went good with the pregnancy. Dylan was fine. We had her naturally, and it was awesome aside from an epidural. We get all the bills, and uh, aside from my, my bill, actually, well, okay, so we got all the bills, and we told them up and from Legacy, and it was $7,763.47 that we owed after insurance and everything. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. And then there was an additional $2,000 that was a separate agency that we owed for her epidural, and then the separate $1,800 for my, my fees from my emergency room ex, uh, incident. And so I'm just like, wow, you know, like, so then there's this financial aid thing. And uh, we're like, okay, well, we really have no control over, over what we owe. So we're just going to offer ourselves to the world and apply for financial aid. And uh, so through legacy, you see, with the financial aid, you have to go through each agency. You can't just have the whole thing lumped in. So we owe Legacy Hospital, uh, Vancouver Clinic, the anesthesiologist company, and then the, there's another $400 charge outside of Legacy for me for something. I have no idea what. So there's like four different agencies that we had to do financial aid for. And so far, we received the letter back from Legacy, and they paid our seven, $7,800, 100%, no, no more money owed on that. Um, and we still owe $3,800 to other places, but we're going to be applying for financial help. And I just, I was trying to think of a story to say, and I just don't know really, nothing profound, but it's like, um, I just see the, the parallel about offering ourselves to, to help and having no control and then positioning ourselves to receive something in humility rather than expectation or entitlement. So I didn't feel that they owed us to pay off that stuff. Um, we were just like anything that they help us with is a blessing and we're and we're so blessed by it and uh, so yeah it was a pretty awesome relief to have that much money because otherwise it would have been like 11,000 or what over yeah over $11,000 that we would just pay over time but it's just that that looming kind of payment and people I know people go through this stuff all the time so I was just thinking in my mind like we paid Elliot for Elliot it was like $4,500 and we just paid it all and there was like we had the financial aid come up like right at the end we didn't know about it and they paid like a thousand of it so so I was thinking okay well it's going to be less expensive this time 
wrong. Twice as expensive. I don't even know how that works out, but... Then, of course, with me having a fake heart attack, that didn't help things. But it's a real thing. Like, people, men in this church, the couple that I know have experienced the same thing. It's, you got to get it checked out, unfortunately, because you don't want to be that guy that's like, no, I'm fine. And then you're not there anymore for your family. So, it's just, an, it's, and obviously, it's not that huge of a deal what happened with us, but financially it is, but nothing uh, supernatural is more of just, even the world can help us out, guys, so they're not that bad kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read through this section of of Luke here. So bear with me. Hopefully, there's like eight slides on there. We could try to figure out how to get it condensed, and it didn't really work out. Okay, so we're going through Luke eight forty through fifty six this morning. I'm pretty excited. So I'm gonna start reading now. Call in. Okay, so here we go. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So before that, that was the last week David talking about um, the man, demon-possessed man being healed, and then, you know, go tell your household what God has done for you. And then he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done. And so it's basically right after that. So when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So there's like a bunch of people waiting for him. Um, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, if I'm saying that right. David told me just to say it confidently, but I looked on YouTube, and there's like three different, I'm just going to say Jairus today, so. Sorry, Jairus, if I'm supposed to say Jairus or something. Um, okay. And he, okay, so there came, a, he was a, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him, which just basically means pressed, pressed him. So there's a bunch of people, and he's just kind of like wading through all these people. And so now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throng impress you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Sorry, I spent a lot of time trying to picture this, so now as I'm reading it, it's like, it's just very vivid to me. What happened? While he was still speaking, so as he's saying, Go in peace. Someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. As he just told that woman, made well. I just Some of that stuff sticks out to me, the way he speaks. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. 
Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put, he put them all outside, and some of your versions probably don't say, me and David were talking about this, don't have that. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. There's that word immediately again. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So that's kind of interesting. At the previous story, he told, he told the man to return to your house and tell what great things God has done for you. I'm not going to use those. So, I mean, you could, you, it's okay. I'll, I know it's kind of annoying. I'm also partially sick too, so who isn't sick right now? Um, so yeah, and then Jesus charged them to not say anything. And I, I'm, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure all that stuff out. And I probably am not going to get everything right on this. Um, but there is a point, I believe, today. Um, both stories have, a, have an underlying theme, faith and belief. And we've all heard, heard stories about that and, and, and sermons on it. Um, I'm just going to go down what I, what I gathered from it. So I was trying to figure out the setting of this. Apparently, if, correct me if I'm wrong, this is in Galilee. So Jairus was a ruler of the synagogues. So I don't know if he was a Pharisee or, or, or what, but he was a ruler. So he most likely had, he, had a, he knew enough about Jesus to where he was in that crowd and he was waiting for him to return. And as soon as he saw him, he made his way for him. Um, he fell to his knees. I just picture him running you know, to Jesus desperately. He fell to his knees and begged him to come to his house. Um, he put himself in a, in a position to receive from God. You know, that seems to be the theme in all these stories. Like, people put themselves in a position to receive and then leave it on God to do something. That's really amazing. Um, I, learn, I can learn a lot from that. Literally f- fell to his knees, just like the man, just like the demon-possessed man. Or the demons, actually. The demons were begging Jesus, which is kind of funny. Um, but this man was begging Jesus in the same way. So there are probably, there are definitely, okay, so there's a lot of people around. It's safe to assume that this man, Jairus, had a reputation as a leader. I don't know how, you know, how he conducted himself, but he was, you know, being, he was a leader of the synagogue, so probably had some kind of reputation, um, but he didn't really care what people might perceive of him. What he knew about Jesus made him seek Jesus out with his whole heart, putting himself in a literal, literal position of humility, potentially embarrassing himself or hurting his reputation. Didn't really care what was going on or what people might think or say about him. You know, and that speaks a lot. He just knew that he had to get his daughter well, and this man was the person. This was the one man that could help him. There, there's not a lot of, like... They don't really explain a lot of the setting and the pre kind of stuff that happened before. Like, how did Jairus come to know about Jesus? You know, like, what did he observe about him? Where was he? Was he witnessing miracles that Jesus did? All this stuff, you know, but you just kind of gather from when you, when you really read it slowly and think about it and picture it as a real-life situation. There had to be something that happened, you know, like, to where he was that convicted. He was that sure, and he just ran right for him. Versus like, well, I don't know if he's the guy. 
I mean, I, I don't want to really inconvenience him. Like, I don't, I know he's got a lot to do. Like, he's literally on the, you know, he's, he's doing probably something more important. But you know what? It's like, it's just amazing. And it wasn't disrespect. It, it, like, Jesus is not offended by this man coming and begging. If anything, he's amazed by it. Being dependent and reliant on someone other than himself. Especially as a leader of the synagogue. So, yeah, so to Jairus, this was an emergency, knowing that his daughter was dying and they needed to get there before it was too late. Um, so needless to say, Jairus was definitely in a hurry. Um, but like I just read, this other woman had other plans. And I didn't really realize, like I've heard both stories and I kind of heard them as like, I just maybe didn't pay attention enough, but these are happening at the same time. Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house and this woman is like, doesn't care, doesn't have an understanding of what's going on with Jairus and all that stuff, and I just picture like this, so the song we just sang, you know, like, I just, I hear it in the background with her, picturing it like a movie or something or whatever, just the song, like, let go my soul, the winds and waves still know his name, and like the people are like, are like the sea, and the winds and waves, and he, and she could easily just be so, so overwhelmed by it. And she had good reason. Um, this woman had endured 12 years of bleeding. She had been bleeding as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. It's pretty crazy. The daughter was 12. She had been bleeding for 12 years. Um, as far as, as the significance of that, that's all I can gather from it is, wow, that's insane. This girl has been alive for 12 years, and this woman has been going through this torment as long as she's been alive. And that day a woman was impure for seven days from the beginning of her menstrual flow. Anyone who touched the woman became unclean until evening. Whoever touched her bed or anything she sat on during the week was unclean until evening and had to wash their clothes and bathe in water. So basically, she had a reputation amongst the people and was most likely in exile. She was... She might not even been from Galilee. This might have been her third or fourth or fifth town. I don't know fully, like, her story. But she was the equivalent of, as far as the law was concerned, as a leper. Don't touch her. If you touch her, you become unclean. And then anything that, you know, it was like a huge deal. And she knew all that stuff. Like, she was a social outcast. She was physically tormented. But... She just saw Jesus in that sea of people and wasn't concerned with what might happen. So I you know, picture this woman seeing Jesus, seeing in the crowd, knowing what is at stake for her if she shows herself in public. Like It's hard enough just to probably walk through the city gates or come out of her house or whatever she was in in public. It's hard enough just probably just to do that because she had a reputation for being this and people were like, get away from me, don't touch me oh, it's her, watch out, you know, people are hiding their kids, stay away, honey, like that, just like this extreme thing, like, she's just like this monster, you know, but she's not, like, they couldn't see her for who she was, but Jesus always sees the truth. So those things were real, you know, and able, able, to, able to cause her to retreat and give in to fear. 
She chose to seek the one that makes unclean things clean again. She chose, she made a conscious choice to just risk everything for him. And this is, I can't hear, I can't help but hear the same like when David spoke on the leper. You know, like he wasn't even allowed in the city. Like he had to make this like, this, this fearful trek to get to Jesus. But he just knew that once he got to Jesus, he would be okay. So this woman had faith. She knew something was going to happen, you know, and I just kind of brought up the uh, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, or she who comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sounds like that's exactly what happened. Like that's not just like a roundabout saying. That is completely true. Like. She, she saw him with everything that she was, you know, and, and then even greater, like, according to Jewish law, Jesus should have then become unclean when she touched him. Like, he had no business, business touching her as well. So, like, it was like this, you know, if, if it would have been any other, any other teacher, it would have been this, like, like, crazy thing, you know, like, he's just like, who touched me? And I, it makes me think about, like, in the garden when God was like, where are you? Like, he knows where they are. He knows where Adam and Eve, they, he knows where they are, but he's like, who touched me? Like, he knows who touched him. But he's, he's giving her the opportunity to respond. Oh, man. This is the coolest thing. So, yeah, I, that song that we sang, it's like, it's per, I think it's a, it would have worked with the sermon about, obviously, Jesus in the boat with the storm and stuff, but I just think it's, the theme of it is a perfect ending to this series of, of Luke 8, just rounding out these stories. I just keep on hearing that, the waves and winds still know his name. Whether it's a literal storm or it's a circumstance or if it's 12 years of bleeding or it's a sick and dying daughter, like those things still know his name and they obey. When he speaks, they turn in, into the thing that they're supposed to be. So sickness becomes health. Death becomes life because you can't defeat something. You can't defeat something that was created. Like like Jesus created life, so death can't defeat life. It's a created thing. I don't know. It's just it's it's if anything, it's an effect of the fall. So of course we think, of course, yeah, Jesus was there. It was all better. So I picture the crowd parting like the Red Sea. Like as soon as she touched Jesus. Like, I just picture people around her seeing this woman, understanding what had just happened, and everybody just, and I picture the woman, like, touching Jesus and, and, and standing back, and there being, like, this distance of, like, 10 or 20 feet or something like that in between him and Jesus, and just everybody parted like the Red Sea, and there's just this space, and what does Jesus do? I picture him. I picture this woman's like trembling on the ground. She's, she's so ashamed or she's just so, she's just like, she's ashamed, I guess, in a sense of socially, but at the same time, she's freaking out because as soon as she touched him, she was immediately healed. Like it, it wasn't like an overtime thing. Like she was instantly healed. I want everybody to experience that change from God. And what does Jesus do, man? I mean, I just picture him getting down on his knees with her, you know, and 
She touched him with faith, and she positioned herself to receive all that he is. He is peace, and peace is wholeness. So she became whole again. So Jesus said, daughter. He said, daughter, like, that's so crazy. Like, he hasn't even died yet and rose from the dead and became the Holy Spirit to us, had the Holy Spirit sent to be sons and daughters. He's already calling her that. Like, there's so much that still has to happen, and he already sees her for who she is, man. That's so cool. Like, every single person is a son, is a daughter, even if they don't understand it. It's so good. Like, if we take on that perspective, we can't be moved by what people don't understand. We can't let what people don't see determine what we do see. What people don't see about who they are determine who we see they are. That's supernatural because I tell you what, somebody comes at me with hostility, how do I not see them as a hostile person? Jesus. I see them as a hurting person that is desperate to know their father. And once you get that, it changes everything. All of a sudden you have power, you have patience, compassion. You have this amazing ability to have room for all the people's junk, all the people's stuff that if they knew better, if they understood better, they wouldn't be treating us this way kind of deal. And that's the gospel, you know, and it's just amazing. And so that happened, phenomenal, supernatural thing. But while all this is happening, Jairus is just standing there like, uh, Jesus, hello, remember this? Uh, so he's like probably feeling two things, like amazement, like, wow, this just happened. Like, I know this woman probably. Like, she, she can't even come into my synagogue kind of deal. Like, she, I don't know if she would hang out there or whatever. Like, she probably, she, it's like, I'm sure they had some kind of understanding who that was, you know, Jairus. And uh, so he's feeling like amazement, but then probably kind of like, all right, like, still got to get to my daughter, you know, she's close to death, you know. Jesus isn't worried about that, you know, but while he was still speaking, you know, that one of the people from his house said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. Like, well, she's died. That's it, I guess. You know, death is final. Too late, guys. Which is understandable. It's not like, well, I mean, come on, guys, don't you understand? Like, not everyone has the word of God. No one had the word of God like we do. No one has the stories. No one has the understanding in a sense of who he really was. Even though he was doing amazing things in front of him, not everybody had that full understanding. They were still driven by fear. They didn't want to give in to that. They didn't want to put themselves out there because they might be persecuted or even killed. So it wasn't just like this, well, yeah, I'm going I'm to hang out with you, Jesus. No problem. Like, yeah. Like David was saying, like, they would see the power and they would probably have fear from it, if anything. If they didn't know him, they didn't know his presence, they didn't know who he really was, then the power would be intimidating. It would be scared because it's like, well, if you could do that good thing, who's to say you're not going to do that bad thing with the same kind of power? Who's, who's to say you're not going to punish me if I do wrong? So yeah, moving on to the next the next half of this, I guess. So, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Jesus responded and said, do not be afraid. Only believe. And she will be made whole. That just like, is so simple and so huge to me. Like it's a command. It's like, do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. It's like, if you don't know God in a way that is tangible, then that just sounds like 
some kind of like insensitive like well how, how am I not supposed to be scared right now like my daughter's dead like she's like how am I not supposed to be scared like she's gone like she could have been potentially healed if you would have got there in time kind of thing I don't know how Jairus is feeling but it's like that's just that's what you're gonna say to me only believe what's the good what's the use she's dead and she will be made whole daughter be of good cheer your faith has made you well made whole the when I preached on the last November yeah last year November I was talking about the Syrophoenician woman I think with the alabaster flask and he said your faith has made you well your faith has saved you that was what the word they used saved and saved is healed delivered protected preserved made whole kept safe and sound so saved has so many so many definitions it's so rich it's so deep and so when I hear made whole it's like well of course yeah he saved the girl. He saved the woman. But it's, there's so many different applications. And they just jump off the page. So everybody was weeping. You know, he, he enters his house and everybody's crying. She had probably just died minutes before. You know, there probably wasn't a ton of time that had passed from him healing the woman to, the, to when they get to the house, depending on how far away it was. And Jesus says, do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And so other translations say they laughed. Um, mine says ridiculed. And so either way, I kind of see the parallel of like, it wasn't a laughter of like, haha, this is funny. Wow, he's, he's just really weird and awkward. This guy just comes in. Like, it was like, are you serious? Like, this guy, what is wrong with you? Like, she's sleeping? She's dead. And, like, I, I would picture, I'm kind of surprised that there wouldn't be more, like, I mean, it's probably just because I live in America. There wouldn't be more, like, oh, how could you say that? Like, offense. Like, I'm, like, how could you say that about my daughter? Like, and just, like, up in arms, just, like, I need to, I'm going to sue you. Kind of thing. Like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. Like, I'm going to post this on Facebook. Jesus is so insensitive. <laughs> but it's even crazier to me that they ridiculed him. And I don't, know if, I don't know if Jairus is included in that. So I sure hope not after what he just witnessed. If anything, I'd be like, okay, we're good. Like, Jesus got this. He's going he's gonna to take care of it all. But yeah, it says they ridiculed him. So maybe to him, that was just too far. That was life couldn't overcome death. Life could overcome sickness. His power had the, had the he could do that. But not, this, is too, this is too far. She's too far gone. So there wasn't any belief. There was no position to receive. It was, I had belief. I got, I got, I came to you, Jesus. I put myself on my knees and begged you. But now this happened, so I don't believe anymore. I don't, I don't believe that you're capable of this. How many times has that happened to us? I prayed one time. It didn't work. Either must not have been as well or why didn't you answer me? No growing on our end. No revelation and understanding of who he is. So what they saw with their eyes overpowered what they believed about Jesus to the point that they ridiculed him. Jairus did not obey Jesus when he told them to only believe. Fortunately for their daughter, it wasn't their faith that was needed to save the girl. So I just pictured Jesus going in the room, sitting down next to the girl, 
just looking at his daughter. And he takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, arise. According to Jewish law, by touching the little girl, Jesus would have become unclean for seven days and would have had to go do several things to purify himself. He's not even supposed to be touching a dead body. He's breaking all the rules. All the rules. Man, Jesus is a rebel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the law walking in the flesh. Jesus shows us that love is the fulfillment of the law. God is love. Jesus is the image of God revealed towards us. God made flesh. So he is the law. He knows what is right. He knows what is necessary. I just, man, it's just like, he just takes her by the hand and says, little girl, arise. Instead, the girl was raised up to new life with Christ, literally beside him. Not just an idea, we're just raised in new life with Christ. No, she was raised to new life with Christ, right next to her. Isn't that what happens, guys? I really feel like that's actually what happens when we become a new creation. It's not just this idea or this knowledge of that we're new. Like, I really believe that Jesus is the one that took our hands and said, get up, arise, and we become new. But we don't feel new, and that's the problem, is we don't feel new. And so it must not be true. And that's because we've been trained by a lie that our flesh is God. Our flesh is what drives everything in our lives, and circumstances is what tells us who we are. Whether or not something works out or whether or not this person says this or that, that is God to me. So as long as everything is going perfectly and you treat me well and everything else is going well, then I'm okay. So then Jesus is such a wreck. Jesus is such a mess. He has no reason to be okay. He is so disturbed. He is so despaired. He has no hope because everyone calls his good evil. Everyone misjudges him. At some point, they all deny him. He has no hope. He has no help. Oh, but he does. <laughs> so do we. He is so he's so amazing. Thank you, Jesus. You are so amazing. Thank you, God. He's so good, you guys. He's so good. We have to know him. If we know Jesus, and what he did for us, if we know, not just through the cross, but we look at all these stories, and we look at everything, and we add it up, and we, and we take it personally. He did that for me, too. He didn't just heal the leper. He healed my leprosy. He didn't just heal the woman of bleeding. He took it away from me. He didn't just make the dead girl, ri- dead girl rise. He raised me up. That's not just what happened to them. That's what happens to us. That's not what God did. That's what God does. There's a difference. Is that who Jesus was? Or is that who he is today? Do I see stuff like that happen in my life? No, I don't. Well then, what am I supposed to do? Do not be afraid. Only believe. 
If you have faith and say to the mountain, move, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. If you have faith as a mustard seed, actually, as a seed, we think, well, it's just a tiny seed. No, no, no. This is the seed that grows up into a tree that produces much fruit. This is the seed that grows and changes the whole world around us. This isn't some little seed. This is the power of God, but it starts off as just a little seed. And it's, and it's sown by the sower, and it's sown in love. It's sown in the, in the motive that I just want to know you, God. I'm just going to go into the ground, and I'm just going to wait for you. And you're going to send the rain. You're going to send people in your, in, in your church, and you're going to send the rain, and you're going to send the encouragement, and they're going to prepare the soil, and they're going to get out the weeds, and I'm going to grow up into you. I just know I'm going to grow up because you said I would. I don't feel like I'm growing sometimes. I don't feel great. Man, feelings are so awesome in God, but they are so not okay if they're not with God's love. If they're not fueled by the motive of, I just want to know you, they can be very deceiving. And we can just live our lives by how we feel. And it's dangerous, you know? Like, do I feel amazing when I wake up on Monday morning? No. Does that mean that Jesus didn't shed his blood for me? Absolutely not. So why not, instead of basing my day off how I feel, I'm going to just grab on to what he did. Even if, I, even if I probably should know it by now, God's not mad at me. He is patient with me. He wants me to get this because once you get it, it explodes. And then you don't go back because you have this reality. He wants a reality for us. He doesn't, he, he's not concerned about how long it takes. He, he's so patient. It's crazy, you know, and I want to be that. I want to be like that. And I'm not with my son, especially. I'm not like that. You know, I get convicted of, of God's love towards me every single day with my children. Which is crazy because it's like, on one hand, I feel, it's like it's easy just to feel like a hypocrite or feel worse. But if anything, now I should be more encouraged that now I understand. He's speaking to me. He's showing me. See how merciful I am? This is how I've been with you this whole time. And I'm not mad. I don't let what you do apart from me determine my love for you. I just know that eventually, eventually, you're going to see that I've been this whole time, and you're going to fix your eyes on me, and then everything's going to wash away. And then you're going to remain in my love, not just a moment in time, but remain in my love. That's the big thing. We've got to remain in his love. It's, it's so easy to just let life speak louder than truth. So I have, you know, the woman's story is the result of faith. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So hearing comes by the word of God, Jesus. Jesus is the word. So truly hearing Jesus causes faith to arise. Only hearing him and what he says. Hearing him, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Be careful how you listen. How are we hearing Jesus? What do we want from him? Do we want him? Or do we want, like David says, do we want his stuff? The stuff is cool. It's awesome. You can have people just work and, you know, there's like the, the verse that says, you know, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he says, away from me. You, I never knew you. You worker, workers of iniquity. Whoa. Whoa. That's that's kind of like, well, wait, huh? Like, I, we were doing all this stuff. I thought, you know, like, it's gone. And he says, away from me. I never knew you. 
And some people, that makes them really scared, and they wonder, oh, man, am I going to hell? It's like, no, like, just start over and say, okay, I just want to know you, God. I just want to be a good tree. I'm not worried about the fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. Like, you know an apple tree by its fruit, right? But guess what it starts out as? It starts out as a seed. You put that seed in the ground, it's already an apple tree. No one knows what's in there. No one even sees what's in the ground. Somebody, God knows what's in there. God knows what kind of tree it is. And as it's growing, nobody knows, unless the, only the person that planted it knows what kind of trees that, tree that is. And only until the point to where we actually produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that's when you recognize well, what kind of tree you are. That's how we recognize what kind of tree people are, or what kind of tree I am, I guess. It's really simple, but it's like, it's really, it's like, I, I, my whole life I was always looking at what was wrong with people, or what's wrong with me, and that's how God sees me. He's just, a, he's a professional fruit inspector, and my fruit is rotten all the time. It smells, it's got flies on it, like, there's nothing good on my tree. I'm such a bad tree. And when I got saved, I, I felt so concerned about my bad fruit, and then someone told me, the fact that you care about your fruit means you're a good tree. That's crazy. Do you care about your fruit? Do you care about what you're producing? That means that you're growing. That means that you are a good tree, and God has to root out some of that stuff and prune and all that stuff. Like, it's like it's, it's so good. So I wrote, I wrote, faith is a spontaneous result of knowing him. It is the position of our hearts to receive what he accomplished. He gave us the ability to fully receive all that he is. That's what faith is. Just positioning yourself to humbly receive everything that he is and wants for us. Faith is uh, its not a hit or a miss, a win or a loss, a moment in time. What did you have faith, brother? Oh, I guess I didn't. Didn't have it that time. Missed it. Darn, I'll try again. Wrong. Wrong. That's how I, that's how I grew up, if anything. Faith was more hope. Well, I hope. Hope this works. Hope God answers my prayer. Okay, ready? Jesus' name. Might as well have just said, abracadabra. Said the magic word. So now God's going to do it. Hey, he's got to fulfill his word. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to grow to understand anything. I don't have to be like Jesus. I just need to say, abracadabra. Faith is a perspective that we live by and grow up into. That's what I've learned. It's a perspective. It's not something that happens or doesn't happen. It's the way that we think and see. It's the way that we perceive things to position ourselves to receive from God. It's the way that we see Jesus to be all-inclusive towards me and not just them. Not just what happened to them, but what God wants to do to me. Not just this radical, crazy thing, but in my life, he doesn't want to do that stuff. Like, he's just, or, you know, I already tried to say the prayer thing, you know, hey, God, work it. And he's like, like, sweet, look at that. I mean, trees take time to grow. I don't know if anybody's ever watched a tree grow. It's kind of boring. But what's awesome is, like, we're not supposed to be focused on where we're growing. We need to be focused on we're planted, like we're in, we're rooted in the ground, like we are with God. So something is going to happen as long as we remain with him. There's nothing that can change that. 
Nothing can take away your identity, only you can give it away. The devil has no power to overthrow who you are in the sight of God. I can just give it to him. I can listen to what he says and speaks his lies. And, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Oh, this person. Oh, man, I wonder if, oh, I wonder if I'm even saved. You know, I'm feeling pretty, uh, pretty low right now. I get it. I totally get it. Like, sometimes we just have to hold on to that stuff and we need, with everything that we are. And just proclaim how we're feeling. I don't feel this way. I don't feel loved by you, God, but I know that you do. I don't feel holy, but I know that you live inside of me. And so you are holy, so I am clean. Make me what you paid for. Just simple prayers of communion. It's just like, it's a relationship, you know? It's not just a, a snap kind of thing, you know? Even though this is what happened to these people. But I just think it's a picture of, of a position these people take. They position themselves to, re- to receive from God. You know, and sometimes crazy things do happen. People are transformed. They get hit with the Holy Spirit in the presence of God, and addiction leaves. It's gone. The desire to drink and use is destroyed. The desire for lust is destroyed. Because it can't take the place. It can't be in the same, in the same, in the same body. It cannot exist. It's God's love, a res- a, an open and receiving heart, wanting to receive God, and it comes in, that, th- that stuff just has to go. There's no room for it. And if you remain in that place, it will stay out. But the devil's still going to knock on the door. But guess what? We have to say, come on in. Well, yeah, let's have, some, let's have a chat. You know, that's, that's how I picture it. Or like, you know, like a, you ever seen a TV show where there's like a, like a kid, little you know, boy, and it's like going to his, the girl's house late at night, and she's upstairs on the second floor, and he's like throwing the rock, and it's like... Right? What if that was just Satan? And we're inside the house, and he's just just throwing the rock. And as long as we don't open that window, that rock's not going to get in there. As long as we don't open and say, what do you think? What's going on? Well, what do you have to say about that, Satan? Then he has no power. We have to actually let him in. Faith is a house without, you know, a house with no empty rooms. I've heard somebody say that. It's a house with no empty rooms. There's no room for the devil anymore. Jesus has moved in. There's a no vacancy sign stamped on my forehead now. God lives in me. That sounds good, right? And then I'm, I can just go home and get all frustrated. Like it's, it's, it's easy just to say this stuff. I'm saying it right now, but man, like this is what God wants for us to where the reality of who he is is so much bigger than whatever the liar has to say, whatever the person that is controlled by the liar has to say, whatever circumstances come in our life. Because I always heard that growing up, like, just got to trust God, you know, just keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm like, what does that actually mean? Like, that's what everybody says, and it's like, well, it's actually true. But how do you just look at someone that feels so far off? How do you, how do you look at someone and feel like he has time for you if he's just, like, what Becky would say, you know, God is just busy doing stuff for other people. Like, he doesn't have time for me, for my little insecurities and stuff. He's busy saving people that are dying without realizing the whole time is the whole point, that the whole reason that he died was to have an intimate relationship that never changes with us. So if we're not having that, he's concerned for us. He wants us to have that. If we're not staying with him, he's going to do everything in his power to fight for us. Just like, just like you would with a marriage, you know, like... I can, just, I can just know a lot about my wife and just, you know, see her, hey. You know, I almost did that. I almost didn't actually talk to her. 
I almost didn't have the courage to go and say something to her and ask her on a date. I could just know a lot about Kami, but only until I gave myself to that and to her, we became one and we're married and we're producing the image of God. It's multiplying. It's amazing. It's so beautiful, you know, and it's the, God wants the same thing, not just in marriage, but the way we are, we're married. Christ is the, is the, is the groom and we're the church, you know, we're his bride. And so he wants us to become one, to produce offspring, if you say, or more fruit, to multiply his image, to multiply the love that cannot be stopped. So faith, faith is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Well, we're justified by faith, and the just shall live by faith. And that really stood out to me. The just shall live by faith. Not just, like, I'm just going to carry faith in my pocket in my life, but that's how I live. Like, my life is faith. I get life from faith. I get life from positioning myself to receive from God, to receive him and the life. I get life from faith. It's just it's so much, it's so cool, like, when you, the words and the meaning and stuff, it's like, it starts to make sense to me because I would read my Bible and I would just feel worse because I was pretty controlled by the devil even though I was saved, in a sense, saved. Even though now that I know the word, I, I really wasn't saved. Like, saved means being transformed, renewed, you know, with, with Christ. Like, but I just listened to him, listened to the devil instead of read my Bible. And everything that would be said, even though it was supposed to be encouraging and uplifting, I would be, it would be twisted in such a way to where I felt like I wasn't that. Well, this is just telling me what I'm not. You're not holy. You're not blameless. You're not without reproach. Your conduct isn't worthy. How many of us feel like that consistently? You're just not enough. Well, you've been saved now for how long? You should have this by now. What an amazing strategy to make sure that we never know God. The way that, yeah. So I, I wrote, the only way to truly have life is to develop a steadfast rhythm of hearing God and obeying him. Seeking him to know him, to become more like him. That's it. It's that simple. But that requires work on our end. You have to consciously carve out time to seek him. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of other reasons. And it's, it, it, I get it. Like, but what's amazing is when you finally make that decision and you spend time with God, all of a sudden things just are easier. Things seem easier. Now I have wisdom. I have patience and all this stuff. And I wasn't going in there to receive wisdom and patience. I was going in there to know him. And now I have the fruit. I just want to be a good tree. The fruit's on him. But if I become a good tree, I will, I will have good fruit. <laughs> so Jesus, he's like, oh, so. Oh, for Jairus, his story shows what happens when we don't believe, when we let what we see with our eyes overpower who Jesus is, even when he is literally standing beside us. I can't imagine, but at the same time, this is 2,000 years later. I'm not in that crowd. I'm not in that setting. I'm not in that presence of fear 
and sickness and all kinds of stuff. Just so much going on, so much fear. Don't touch this. Don't uh, get away from me. Oh, oh I don't want uh, to get hurt. I don't want to get killed. Jesus said, you know, this is the work of God. Here it comes, guys. Here's the work I'm talking about. That you believe in him who he sent. <sighs> I'm sorry. What do you mean? That's the same, it just reminds me of the same thing. Like, just do not be afraid, only believe. There he goes again. Just believe in him who he sent. Well, that actually requires a lot because you've got to get to know what he said. He said a lot of stuff. So faith and belief are the same. They aren't honest to manufacture, like I said. They are a result of seeking God with everything that we are, with the sole motive to know him. Jesus said, if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. You will know a tree by its fruit, but God knows a tree by its seed. I never said that before, and I was like, man, that's cool, because like, I get the picture. By what was planted and why it was planted. Why did you go into the ground? Did you want to grow up into a big tree so everybody could come under your umbrella of healing and revelation? Just be this amazing teacher? It probably could happen. But then he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. That is a scary day. We need to be the kind of people that aren't concerned about the fruit of the tree, but rather the seed in the ground that it's planted in. We can be the people that hear the word and receive it with a noble and good heart, bearing fruit with patience, with patience and perseverance, bearing fruit. Just consistently seeking God to know him. I want to know you, God. I just want to know you. And then look at what happens. I know you. If you know me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. We need to understand who our God is and what he's doing through the life of Jesus. With these two examples and the ones prior, it's clear to see what he desires. I'm going to say it. God doesn't decide who lives and who dies. He has already decided. Life. Show me in his life where he didn't decide life for every single person that was available to him. Life. Raise. Be healed. Be transformed. Raise up, be healed, be transformed every single time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will never know God unless you first see him through his son and what he did. It's so important. I said it. He wants life, guys. I believe it, and I'm not, I'm not even angry, I'm not arguing. I just know he wants life. And the only reason I know he wants life is because of what Jesus did. And if that is wrong, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And in the same turn he says, but... I have come so that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Abundant means violently excessive. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about love. Violently excessive love that you cannot contain. You cannot contain it. It is impossible to contain the love of God. That's why I love it so much. Well, I'm just going to keep God's love to myself. It's not God's love. I promise you, if it's God's love, you were not designed to hold it in. He is too big for us. Like, there's my limitation, guys. I can't contain the love of God. 
I, we talk all the time about, oh, I'm just only human. Hey, brother, you know, God knows so hard. I'm only human. Like, back off, you know. Yeah, you're right. I'm only human. I can't contain his love. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, it's just cool. Like, it's like, man, I feel like a little kid when I preach the gospel because I can't contain it. Like, you guys know my story. I've done so much. I've done so many things to, to render myself inadequate, unqualified. I don't even feel qualified to be up here teaching. Yet I get to because of our amazing pastor and he just stands underneath me and lifts me up and allows me to speak in such a way that hopefully I can come back. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going long. I was actually sure that I would be reading through this in like 10 minutes and then I would be scared. Isn't it funny how that happens? So, hearing and producing, hearing and obeying produce life, while unbelief and disobedience produce death. That's pretty simple, but that's really what it comes down to today. What am I doing? Am I, am I hearing and obeying, or am I in unbelief and disobedience? I want to I be with him. I want to listen to him when he says that you can do the same things as me, and not for the power but to save the world with him, not without him, not by myself, with him. Going and getting people that don't want to be saved, but not being able to, to resist his love. And getting people that want to be saved, and that want to be healed, and want to be delivered, and protected, and preserved. All those things, that is who we are. That's not who Jesus is or the disciples. That is who you are, and you are. Every single person in this room that can hear me right now, that's who you are, just like Jesus. He is the image of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God, and we are made in his image. He's the last Adam and the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us.